And so we're going to open up God's Word together. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to look at Exodus 20 verses 1 through 3. I want to start out with a test. How many laws do you think we have in the United States? Federal laws. Okay, I'm talking about federal laws. And come on, just give me. What do you think? Make a guess. Somebody said two, two, too many, right? How many laws do you think we have in the United States? How many? 3,000, all right. Anybody else? 20,000, 10,000, 50,000. Okay, there was a study that was done in the 1980s to find out the answer to that question. How many federal laws are there in the United States? But after an extended effort to count all those laws, they finally gave up and basically said, we're not sure. Now, we do know that there are thousands of pages of federal statutes and Congress passes on the average about 100 laws every year, new laws every year. So it's estimated, nobody knows for sure, but it's estimated that there are somewhere between 15 and 50,000 federal laws in the United States. So most of you are pretty close. But you know what's been said? That if we would know, first of all, and then live by those laws known as the Ten Commandments, it is very likely that most, if not all, of the rest of those thousands of laws would really not be necessary for us to have. Do you remember the statement that was made in the first message about the Ten Commandments? One person said the language is so brief, yet so precise, as to be capable of furnishing a perfect guide for the moral government of man. Ten Commandments. They are so brief but so precise is they can, that they can furnish a perfect moral guide for the government of, of man, of mankind. We kind of take this for granted because the foundation of our nation and its laws is so based upon the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments are some of the most simple yet profound words that have ever been spoken on planet Earth. And the reason for that, really, there's two good reasons for that. First of all, they were spoken by God. The reason they're so powerful is because they were given by God. But also, a second reason is because they are true. They work. They are right. If we live by them, our lives will be blessed. So we need to understand them, don't we? We need to, first of all, read them. And then understand them and then ask God by His grace and with His help to empower us to live them out in our lives. A couple of weeks ago we began this study on the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to start, last week was more, last time was more of an introduction. We talked about what, are, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Before we ever start studying them, why did God give them to us in the first place? But today we're going to start with the first commandment where God says that you shall have no other gods in your life. Exodus 20 verse, we're going to start in verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 is, is really like the preamble, is like the introduction to the Ten Commandments. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery or bondage. And then in verse 3 he starts, You shall have no other gods. The first commandment that God gives in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments which open up the rest of the law and are so important to understanding it, the very first commandment that God gives is that we should not have any other gods in our lives. And one of the biggest and clearest messages that comes out of this, very, just very straightforward, God says, write this down, nothing in our lives should come before Him. God's desire, God's command really, 
is that there be nothing else in our lives that come before Him. What we're really talking about is worship. Over the last couple of months, we were doing a series called The Journey. By the way, that insert there, again, is in your worship guide. We shared with you, guess what? I wasn't kidding. This ain't going anywhere. That, that idea of the journey. We want to help you take real steps in your spiritual walk. Amen? Enough talking. Enough thinking about it. Let's start walking with God. Amen? And I want to challenge you. If you didn't during that series, if you didn't a couple of weeks ago, when we gave you that follow-up, I want to challenge you right now. Take out that, that description of the journey and just check one of those boxes. This is the next step that God has for my spiritual walk. But we said in that series, okay, there are some specific steps that God seems to give us in His Word. We call it the journey. But really, all of that is covered by an umbrella that you could call bringing glory to God. Right? Glorifying God. That is the reason that you and I were created That is the reason that we exist. It is our purpose for our lives. Another word for that is worship. In other words, God is amazing. And I can join in with the rest of creation in drawing attention to Him. Amen? By the way, I don't really run across many true atheists. i got to be honest with you, I don't even know if I've ever met a true atheist. Very few people that I could think of that were truly describe themselves as an atheist. But if, if, if you're here today, and that is how you would describe your life. First of all, the Bible says that God, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has set eternity in our hearts. And even though we might try to deny Him, even though we might run from that thought, I believe that deep down in your heart, even if you would describe yourself as an atheist, deep down we know in our hearts, don't we? There is a God. Amen. And and even if we do call ourselves an atheist, the reality is that you have a God. All of us are serving some kind of God. There is someone or something in your life that is the leading focus for your life. Let me say that again. All of us are serving some kind of God. There is someone or something in our lives that is the leading focus for our lives. And the problem if you're an atheist is that that is a God that you have created and that you have appointed. And it is really no true, real God. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, It is foolish to take that approach. And we know it, don't we? But to all of us, the Lord says, All of us, no matter how we describe ourselves, You shall have no other gods before me. The Bible says that this is the first and the foremost or the most important commandment. In other words, if this commandment is not right in our lives, none of the rest of those commandments and really all of our lives will be quite right. Write that down. If we do not get the first commandment right, Nothing else in our lives will be quite right. Throughout history, many, many religions have worshipped many false gods before the Jewish nation was formed. We read about in the book of Genesis that that Abraham's ancestors had worshipped many false gods in the land in which God brought them out of in order to do His work and to raise up the Jewish people. While the Jewish people were in Egypt, if you've ever studied the Egyptian people, which I've always, I don't know, all of us have a little interest. I've always found the Egyptians to be very interesting and very captivating. But if you study their culture, they worship many gods. And so the Israelite people, as they were there for hundreds of years in the land of Egypt, they saw many, many false gods. As the Jewish people right now were about to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, God knew, and God was was warning them. There are going to be many false gods in that land. Many opportunities for you to follow other things besides me, God said. And then later on in the New Testament, we see 
If you've ever studied about the Greek culture, the Roman culture, the, the, the Roman pantheon of gods, they had all these gods, all these false gods that they worshipped. And many times those false gods were focused on some aspect of creation. It, it might be worshipping the sun god. It might be worshipping the moon god. It might be worshipping the stars or some kind of animal. And many times they involved drunkenness. Many times they involved excessiveness. They involved sexual immorality and things like that. But inevitably, their primary impact was self-indulgence and, listen, ultimately, enslavement. That's what those other gods, anything else in our lives that we set up as a false god brings slavery, brings bondage, and their worst result was pulling them away from God and the life that is found in Him. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus was speaking to some very ungodly people who tried to represent themselves as godly, but He says, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. By the way, I hear people talk about, why are we hearing so much about suicide today? That's because the devil is a murderer. And he wants nothing better than to convince us that we, that the world would be better off, that your family would even be better off if you did not exist. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. He's a murderer and he wants to destroy our lives. It says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said that these false gods, they draw us away from him and the life and the truth that is found in him because the enemy loves to kill and to destroy and to lie to us. So the Lord spoke directly to that. He says to them and to us, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, there's a few things I want to bring out with that statement. First of all, it's stated in the negative, right? You shall not have any other gods before me. We've already pointed out in the first message that most of the commandments, most of the Ten Commandments are in the negative. Now, many times people sort of bow up against that. They want to act like that God is very negative focused. But listen, we, we said that sometimes it is more effective to state something in the negative so that we get the point better, right? God could have said here, make me your priority, right? He could have said that. But that might not be as strong as him saying to us, it is not good for you, Robbie, to follow other gods. And by the way, if you're, if you're hung up on that negative aspect, he's very positive. Five times he says, he calls him. Remember, we, we, we point out the statement that is given at least 170 times in the Bible that he is the Lord our God. He was very positive throughout. I am the Lord your God. But he puts this commandment in the negative to bring out that emphasis. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I suppose it could be understood in a sequential sense. In other words, before me is like this. God is in line, and he should be the first in line, right? There's a line here, and, and I should be at the front of the line. There should be no other gods before me. No one should take priority or, or take God's place. And that is true. But the language that is used here can be translated, you shall have no other gods to my face. And the wording here has a range of meanings. It can mean no other gods before me, no other gods besides me, no other gods over against my face. I like to translate it like this. You shall have no other gods in my sight. You shall have no other gods in my presence. What is that saying? You shall have no other gods anywhere around, right? I like that in my presence thought because guess what? I am always, right? I am always in the presence of the Lord. And anytime I'm putting something above Him, that should feel uncomfortable, right? You should have no other gods to my face. 
I'm here, Avi. You're putting something else before me. Now, I don't mean to make the Lord sound petty by using this example, but maybe it'll help us understand. Ladies, if your husband had a serious girlfriend in high school, you don't just want to know that you're more important than her. You don't want her around at all. Amen? Not in my presence, buddy. Right? So let's make it clear. I am always with the Lord. And there should never be anyone or anything else in the room that is more important than Him. Now let's, let's, make that a, let's, let's push that a little bit farther. Because I think many of us would say, Oh no, God's my number one. Me and the Lord, we're like this, right? In our heads, we think of it that way. But how often is there something else in the room that I'm putting before God? Someone said that could be a pleasure, that could be a possession, or that could be a position. Is there something in this room that is pleasurable to me that I'm giving priority over God? Is there an item in this room? Is there a material possession in this room that when it comes down to it, that is more important to me than what God says and wants to do in my life? Is there a position? Is there a place that I want to be in this room that is more important to me than God and what He wants to do in my life? Think about it and be honest. Is there anyone or anything else in your life that takes precedence over God? Especially, listen, in a pinch. Right? I mean, when it comes down to it, and I'm really needing help, when you feel that a decision has to be made, is there anyone or anything else that comes before God in your life? Another way to think about who or what consumes your time. Listen, friends, let's don't be theoretical, Amen. Who or what consumes your thoughts? Maybe take it a step further. Who or what affects your mood? Amen? Because isn't that the thing that's controlling me? Isn't that the thing in the room that's deciding how I feel about things? Who or what dictates your spending habits? Who or what decides how you're going to spend your time each day? Who or what are you most committed to? Would you most fight for? Are you most loyal to? Are you most passionate about? Listen, who or what do you talk about the most? Or who or what do you talk to the most? Is it God or is it someone else? Or something else? If it is someone or something else, the Lord says, that should not be. That should not be. That is in the wrong place in your life. So obviously the Lord puts it in the negative. Don't let anything else get between you and me in my presence. And, I, and you are always with me. But in other places in God's Word, doesn't God many times put it in the positive? Doesn't He many times say, I want you to what? To worship me. I want you to give your life completely to me. So let's talk about that. God wants us. That's the positive. God wants us to worship Him with our whole life. Remember we talked about it in the first message? Somebody's described it as, in the Bible, there are precepts. There are commandments. There are specific. You should do this. You should not do that. That's the specific precept. Behind every precept is a what? Do you remember? Is a principle. Behind every precept, precept is a principle of truth. And behind all those principles, there is the person of God. All of these precepts that are based on principles are based on the person of a relational God who loves us and has a purpose for our lives. So with that in mind, we need to realize that behind the negative command, you shall not worship any other gods, there is the positive principle, I want you to worship me. You see that? Now, there's a couple of important parts to that for us to think about. First of all, is it okay for God to say that? 
I mean, think about it for just a second. As we're walking with the Lord, doesn't he say we should not focus on ourselves, right? We should not draw attention to ourselves. We should not want the attention to come to ourselves. So is it okay for God to say, right? Listen, we're just thinkers, right? We're just thinking, right? I'm not supposed to draw attention. Is it okay for God to draw attention to himself? And the answer in the Bible is a resounding yes. Number one, because he deserves it. God is the one who can say, look to me, look to me primarily, look to me alone, because he deserves it. Psalm 115 verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, your great love, and because of your truth. He is good. In fact, he is best of all. Uh, Many of us just got through reading Psalm 84, verse 10 in our time of the Lord a week or two ago. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God. I'd rather hold the door for people at God's house than dwell in the tents of wickedness. God deserves it, doesn't he? But did you also know that when he is worshipped, all the rest works right? Have you ever thought about that? When God is worshipped, everything else in the world works as it's supposed to. Psalm 97 verse 1. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Because God's in charge. Amen? Let the many islands be glad. All of us, all of our lives, everything in the whole universe, if I am worshipped, or if any other false god is worshipped, is going to be out of whack in some way, right? That's to put it mildly. But when God is worshipped, everything works as it should be. Another question then. But what does that mean? What does it mean to worship God? One of the best verses is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. One of the scribes came and heard some people arguing with Jesus and recognized that he, Jesus, had answered them well. He asked him, asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? What's the greatest commandment? If you're just going to sum it all up, what's the best word from God in his word? Jesus answered, the first, the foremost is hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The Bible says that we should worship God. And we should worship God with all that we are. With all our heart and soul. There's a spiritual focus to that. God is truly the focus of my life. I love Him. Amen? I love the Lord in the depths of my being. I worship the Lord with my mind. He is over my thoughts. He is over my goals. He is over my decisions. He's over my attitudes, my emotions, my choices. God is over my heart, my soul, my mind, with all my strength, with all my being, with my body. Listen, listen, young person. How I use my body is not decided by me. My life, my all, which this body very visibly represents, doesn't it? So what I do with this body really represents how much I'm worshiping God. I worship God. I'm I'm supposed to worship God with all of my being, including my body, my time, my money, my abilities, my resources. Behind the, <clears throat> behind the commandment to not worship any other gods is really a call to give my life completely over to God. You might say, well, Pastor Rob, I, I want to do that. Anybody? But I've never seen that. First of all, can I call a time out? I hope that's going to become more rare around here. Amen? Every Where I go, it is rare to find somebody. I'm looking for somebody. I can follow their example. Amen? 
So I guess we're just going to have to get it started. Amen? And if a bunch of us got it started by God's grace, with God's help, then it wouldn't be so rare. But, admittedly, it's difficult to find those examples. So let me give you some practical implications of me paraphrasing how someone else has answered that question. What does it mean to worship God? First of all, acknowledge His presence. We might could say it like this even. Continually acknowledge His presence. Never stop praying. What does that mean? Never stop talking to God. When you get up in the morning, make a phone call and never hang up. Amen? I heard one great person of the faith say this. And this is one of those heroes of the faith that, that, that we look to their example. He said he was never more than a few minutes without consciously realizing that he was in the presence of the Lord. I think about that. Now I know what some of you are doing right now. I know what you're doing. Oh, well, I can never do that. Oh, that's a burden too much to bear. I know I'm such a jerk, I'll never get there. Listen, that's the enemy. Don't take it as condemnation and guilt. Take it as a challenge and a goal. Amen? I will never be the man who made that statement. But I can be more than I used to be. Amen? I may not be walking with God today like I will be in 10 years, God willing. But I hope I'm walking closer than I was last week. Amen? Acknowledge God's presence. That's what it means to worship God. Make it your goal. At least think of that thought. There was a guy who once said that that he made it the goal of his life never to go consciously more than a few minutes without realizing. And ultimately his goal would have been what? To never lose sight of that. Amen? And so I think about that. Lord, am I living consciously in the awareness that you are here? Secondly, listen for his direction. Be aware of God's presence, but then listen for His voice. Read His Word. Pray. Stay sensitive to His Holy Spirit. Did you know that God is always working? Listen, I see you're writing some stuff down. So let me say that again so you can say amen. Did you know that God is always working? John 5, verse 17. Jesus answered, My Father is working until now. And I also, myself, am working. The question is, are we listening to what he's saying and paying attention to what he's doing? That really became powerful to me a few years ago. Honestly, it was very much a part of us coming to New York for God to work through us to start this church. I was doing a study called Experiencing God. An awesome study. And really, that is the basis for that study. God is always working and speaking. I just need to be more sensitive to listening for His voice. Amen? But the Bible says very clearly, it's not just enough to hear from the Lord, but we must obey His voice. Write that down. Obey Him. John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me... Wait, don't, don't read that. Don't look up yet. Don't look at, look at me. Don't, don't, don't look at what it says next. If you love me, Jesus said. How many people in this room say, I love him. That's me over here. I love him. We would say that, right? He says, if you love me, I do, Lord, I do. If you love me, now look up. Look at the verse. Keep his commandments. John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it will do us no good just to learn the Ten Commandments. To get some warm and fuzzies. Oh, that was motivating. That was stirring. And then to go here and not seek to live it out with God's help. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. I love God. You do? Do you know the Lord's commandments and are you seeking with His help to keep them? Because that's what He says somebody who loves Him is going to do. Friends, I want to challenge you. Very clearly. Have you gotten comfortable 
choosing what part of God's commandments you're going to seek to live out. And I want to make that in a statement. Don't ever get comfortable choosing not to obey God. No, 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 no. I ain't letting you get away with that. Amen, brother. Amen. That was good, Pastor Robin. Give it to us. No. We get very creative with hearing, feeling motivated, and then leaving here not doing it. Amen? Friends, that is not in the Bible. It is most common. I'm not going to say more common than not. It is most common. I'm not talking about the world that doesn't know God. I'm talking about Christians. It is most common for Christians to hear words from God and somehow to talk ourselves out of living it out. You need to get mad about that, not mad at yourself, mad at the enemy. Because that is the enemy. He doesn't mind if we come to church. He doesn't mind if we read the Bible, if we don't ever follow it. And friends, if you will make that decision, no more. Listen, I know, I know it sounds serious, doesn't it? Well, guess what? This is serious. Have you gotten to the point in your life where you said, I'm not piddling around anymore. This is not a hobby for me. This is not a nice little intellectual pursuit I'm on. I'm not just in a kick for a while. I am all in. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I know I'm not perfect. We've already settled that. He had to die for me because I'm not perfect. So that's been taken care of. I'm not perfect. He died to count me as perfect so I could have a connection with him. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life seeking with his help out of love, not obligation. To follow his commands. And it is not my intention to come here right now, this moment, and to hear some stuff and to not do anything with it. Now, I may very well not do anything with it, but that is not my intention, right? Because I'm a sinner, so I'm going to fail. But have you decided I'm going to stop being comfortable with making God's leading optional? I'm, I'm being honest with you. That is the reason many Christians are not living powerful lives. Because we are hearing from the Lord and then talking ourselves out of it as soon as it's over. But Jesus said, I want you to give your life completely to me. And you hear my word and you obey my word. And friends, if you will make that decision, write this down. The incredible impact of putting God first. Before we dig into that too much, I want to reiterate, we should worship God because He deserves it, because He desires it, and on some level, He demands it, He requires it, and He has every right to, regardless of whether it has any benefit on me or not. God deserves it, God desires it, and He demands it, okay? But guess what? What did we say earlier? Psalm 97.1, what do we say? When God is worshipped, everyone else benefits, right? So let's talk about that. One of the best passages for that is Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33 says, But Jesus said this, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Make a decision that seeking God and His ways and what He's up to in this world and His kingdom and what He wants to do, seeking that first and all the other things will be added to you. By the way, if you go back and read this passage, all these other things were the things that we usually worry about. What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? How am I going to make money? We tend to focus on material things and then maybe the spiritual can be part of our lives. But notice God's order. Get the spiritual right, and all those other things will fall into place. It's actually even more pointed than that. Get the spiritual right, 
and God himself will provide for your needs. Write that down. When you make God the priority in your life, everything else will fall into place. You're still not listening to me. You're just writing it down. I want you to, I want you to think about that statement. When you make God, think about that. I'm going to make God first place in my life. What does that look like? What does that mean? Okay, I want you to go home and pray about that. I want you to think about it right now. I want you to continue chewing on what does it look like to give God the priority of my life. And when you do, all those other desires that you have, God will take care of. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because I think a lot of us go away from weekend worship. We go away from our growth group, small group time, our quiet time in the Lord in the morning. And we have a whole lot of sentiment. We have a whole lot of theoretical agreement. But when it actually comes down to living our lives, we either are not making that connection or we throw it out for whatever reason. And there's lots of reasons. So let's make it real. Let's say you don't have a very good track record of making good decisions. There will be a lot of, that's me, that's me. Honestly, that's the whole room, isn't it? But can I ask you a question? By the way, those bad decisions get us in a lot of trouble, don't they? Isn't that real? That was real money you lost, wasn't it? That was a real relationship you lost. That was a real job you lost. That was a real car you lost. That was a real house you lost. Those are real things, right? This is real. Because we want to make it spiritual. We want to make it theoretical. God says, if you make me the priority, I will help you with those things. So I want to ask you, when you are faced with a decision, do you pray about it? I see heads nodding all over the room. Oh yeah, Pastor Robbie. Oh yeah, I pray about it. Honestly, I want, you to, I want you to ask you, did you pray about that? Mostly we mean, I really want to pray about it. I really am thinking about praying about it. I told a lot of people to pray for me about it. I've been thinking about it a lot, right? But the Lord has to challenge me, Robbie, what are you complaining about? You've not yet talked to me about this yet. Specifically. Have you specifically talked to God about what to do in that decision? And do you believe that if you bring it to Him, that He will help you? Now, some of us actually have. But we make it all kind of fuzzy. Well, yeah, I prayed about it, but how do I know? You know, is it just something that comes upon you, or is it some mystical? Well, you know what you need to do? You need to turn to His Word. The Word of God is powerful, amen? And this sovereign God... He's chosen primarily to speak through His Word. So that would be the place to hear His voice. And He's amazing in directing you to just the right verse that you needed and speaking to your heart. Do you spend time with God every day seeking His voice and His Word? That's a good question if you've got some decisions to make. Do you turn to wise and godly people and bounce it off them? Hey, I've been praying about this. It's a big decision. I'm not really sure what the Lord's direction is. I've been reading the Word. I've been, I picked up this, and I, I kind of picked up that. I'm just trying to discern what the Lord's saying to me. Hey, would you pray for me about that? Any insight that you can give me? And we've got to be careful about that. We don't need other people directing our lives. But God does speak through the body of Christ. Right? Do you go to your pastors? Do you go to ministry leaders? Do you go to your brothers and sisters in Christ? One challenge with that for some of us is, do you even know anybody well enough to ask them to help you with that? Maybe God's calling you to step out and get more involved, right? So I'd feel more comfortable engaging like that. You see those steps? Do you want a better marriage? Listen, this is real. We're getting in the car. We're going home after this. And it's either going to be good or maybe not so much, Right? Do you know, do you know what God says about being a godly husband? Do you know what verses talk about that? Do you know what they say? Do you know what God's word says about what you are called to be as a wife? Do you know that? Are you 
growing in your understanding of that? Are you listening to sermons about that? Are you reading books about that? Are you, do you have somebody in your life who's holding you accountable for those things? Because see, I'm real good at learning things and never doing them. If, if it's just between me and the Lord, I talk the Lord out of it, right? Seriously, don't we do that? But when it's you, I can't blow smoke, right? You want to have a better relationship with your kids. Friends, we, we want to complain. We want to struggle. And we just sit there. It's, it's, it's tactics of the enemy. The resources are available to us. God has given us his word. Do you know what his word says? Don't just say, man, I wish I could be a, become a better dad. Man, I had a rough childhood. I don't know how to do this. I can't find any examples. I can't, I, God has given you his word. Do you know what his word says? Are you growing in that? Are you talking with other trusted believers? Are you asking them to help you get better at that? Hold you accountable. Hey, Dad, how'd you do last week with praying with your kids? Hey, Dad, how'd you do last week with putting the phone down and putting work to bed for the night and focusing on your children and your wife? That's real, isn't it? That's not just, man, I wish things were better at home. That's, I'm going to do something about it. God's way. Amen? Do you struggle with your finances? Do you know what God says about finances? Are you giving God your tithe? God said there's a portion of what you make. He knows what you make. And He knows what I make. And He brought us together because He knows what it takes to do a powerful church in Queensbury, New York. And if we are all faithful, God has appointed all of us to make resources And if we give that tithe, all that God wants to be done can be done through it. Do you do that? Well, no, but. And then we go off on another tangent, right? Are you growing in your understanding of how God sees things? Do you pray about it before you buy something? Do you have people in your life, again, who are holding you accountable for that? You see, some of us need a paradigm shift. Listen, currently we're living like this. I'm living life my way. I call the shots, but I'm bringing God more into that. Many of us would think, wow, that is amazing. Because most of the world's not even thinking about God, right? And that is a good direction to be going, right? I'm thinking about God more, but if you really want to grow into what God has for you, it's not, I'm doing kind of what I think I should be doing And I'm really glad for God to be a part of that. No, that is not at all how God describes a relationship with him. Listen, here's how God describes it. You are dead now, but I let you live in me. Galatians 2 verse 20. Somebody needs to memorize this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live by faith, I now live in in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is not you are living, but include God. It's more like you're dead, but he lets you live. And now he is living through you. I like to make this statement. You can't hurt a dead man's feelings. You should not be able to hurt my feelings, really. Ultimately... Because it's Christ. If you're hurting my feelings, you're hurting his feelings, right? It's Christ. I bring him the compliments. I bring him the criticism. Because I don't live anymore. Robbie died. I died on that cross. Thank God. Amen? Christ is now living through me and leading my life. Can you imagine how frustrating it is to God that many times we still find a way to wiggle out of that and feel like we're getting close to God but still are doing it our way. And friends, it does not work. You drive down to Stewart after the service and you fill up on 2% milk in your car. You can beat your head on that milk jug all you want but it ain't going to work. Amen? There needs to be a funeral spiritually. And it needs to be me. And it needs to be you. Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died. 
And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Write this down. We need to be dead to self, but fully alive to Christ. And the Bible tells us if that happens, God will take care of you. And actually, the way the Bible puts it, He won't just take care of you. That decision will transform your life in ways that you could have never dreamed of. But you've got a decision to make. Are you going to be all in with God? Are you going to decide there's nothing or no one else more important in my life, not just in sentiment, but in reality, in real actions? I'm taking this walk with God seriously. I know it's scary, isn't it? I'm still growing in that, but I remember taking the first few steps in that. It was terrifying. Because, see, I have control problems. No amens to that one. I have control problems. I have trust issues. Anybody else? But I heard a pastor say, what more does he have to do, Robbie? What more does he have to do? He created you. He's been so, so good to me as we sing in the song. He spoke to my heart when I wasn't seeking Him. He sought me. He saved me. Forgave me of my sins. Gave me eternal life. He set my feet on a rock and in a better, the, the path that I needed to walk in life. Every time I've ever given God anything, it's gotten better. What more does He need to do to show? You, you see, I was sharing with somebody the other day. We should be more concerned not to trust God than concerned trusting Him. Because not trusting Him exposes us to danger. But I'm going to be honest, it is intimidating, isn't it? I don't know what that means. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not sure if I want to give up control. I wonder, is there anybody in this room that just says, I'm done with all that garbage. I'm so tired. I'm so tired and worn and hurt and struggling. I give. I surrender. God, you deserve it. And I'm giving my life to you. Anybody, anybody, would you make that decision a couple weeks ago after the service on Sunday morning? Two people who had come to church for the very first time ever made that decision. Almost every week, someone is making that decision. Praise the Lord. Amen. Is that you today? Why not? Why couldn't it be? Why couldn't it be your first time ever and God just captures your attention and you say thank God for leading me to hear this message and yet I look at many of us who say who are followers of Jesus amen and God is wanting to grow us isn't he you know there's something in your life that in the Lord's presence right now if it really came down to it that would be the thing not the Lord and there might be many things that the Lord's wanting to work on in your life, but that's the one. That's the one He's wanting to talk about right now. What is it, <clears throat> when it comes down to it, that you're ditching the Lord and you're going with this or that person or that thing? Would you confess that right now? Would you say, God, that doesn't feel right. That, that's not, you're here. There should be nothing that I'm giving more attention or priority than you. Dear God, I didn't even realize it. I'm sorry. Amen. Please cleanse me of that sin. I don't want it to be like that anymore. You may have to ask the Lord to help you because it might be something you've been dragging for 20 years. And God's saying, it's time to let it go or at least to put it in its rightful place, which is behind the Lord. Amen. All right, so did we come for warm and fuzzies? Or did we come for God to change our lives? All right, let's bow our heads before Him.
Dear Lord Jesus, you know you're going to have to help us. Because everything in us screams, no, I can't, I won't. But God, there's something in us, your spirit. The testimony of your word, truth, that, that resonates down in there. That we know that you're calling us. You're speaking to us. And in spite of that visceral, no, I can't, I won't. I pray that somebody would say, but by God's grace, I will. I will follow Jesus. Friend, if you're here right now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, would you just say, dear Jesus, I surrender. I give my life to you. Thank you for paying for my sins on the cross. Thank you for rising victoriously over them and for giving me the offer of salvation. And I accept that gift right now. I ask you to come into my life, to set up residence on the throne of my heart, and God, help me to learn to follow you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Oh, Lord, we know that is the greatest desire of your heart, that sinners would come and give our lives to you. We rejoice with someone who made that decision in these moments. And God, I pray for us, those of us who are your followers, because daily we struggle. And I pray that in big ways, maybe in some smaller ways that need to be dealt with, that you've spoken to all of our hearts in some way. If there is anything in our lives that in this room, in your presence, in our lives, is ultimately the priority, is taking our thoughts more than you, is taking our attention, our time more than you, God, that we would repent of that right now. Say, God, I see that, and I ask you to change it. Father, help us. We're weak, but we thank you that you will help us. We love you. Lord, we pray as we begin this series of messages, some powerful life change is going to happen, some powerful life direction is going to begin in somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.